0: I'm Jeff Gibson
1: and I'm Shanna Paxton
0: and we are the the movie movie lovers Lovers. welcome to the official podcast of the Gibson review in every episode we talk about the week in review what movies and TV shows we've watched since the last episode move on to the main event which is either a main topic of discussion or a review and then finish up with film phase our respective lists of our 12 favorite films around a particular topic, often marching backwards through time. In this
1: episode...
0: In episode 60, (laughs) we will be doing a review of Disney's remake, The Lion King, and... Film phase will be focusing on the year 1984.
1: Okay, so I got confused because I thought we were doing sci fi because of how 1984, how my list panned out.
0: That's interesting. Really? That's very interesting. It was a very good uh, year for sci fi. We'll get into that a little bit later in the episode. I'm looking forward to that because that list was particularly a lot of fun. But first. Let's begin with the week in review. Shannon, tell us about your week in review.
1: So, back on my mission, binging on Netflix anything. It's not even just Netflix shows anymore. It's like, whatever I see on Netflix, that's what we're going to do. Is it? Yeah. So, I watched the first season of The Great British Bake Off. Mm -hmm. And it's a really good show to watch. Like, I think the category of cooking show, cooking channel is good to watch when you're kind of just chilling out you don't want to focus too much but you do want to get happy i feel like it's my favorite reality show
0: okay yeah
1: is is cooking
0: just in general oh you're talking about the 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 area of cooking is your favorite of all the reality it's my
1: nice chill
0: gotcha like i know
1: i'm gonna be chill if i watch a good like one i like like a
0: cooking show like
1: pioneer woman or now in this case The Great British Bake Off. And it's nice because I get my British fill. Mm -hmm. And I completed the first season this week and I was so pleased with how it ended. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody was so nice. And how the show ended is they showed you how people who participated, because it's like 10 or 12 people and they have a chat, they bake something for fun and then they have a challenge and then they have the third activity is like, you know, it's it's more challenging and they have more time for it. So it gets, you know, you get down to one eventually. Someone goes home each week and they ended the show. Ended it's like the, the survivor s- of yes. baking. <laughs> it ended the season by showing how everyone has connected with each other mm. and how they're still friends. Oh, And I was like... That is so nice. I wasn't expecting it to go that way Mm. for them to include that. But it was such a great, like, remind us of our kindness and humanity kind of thing, which I wasn't expecting from a cooking show. So um, that was really nice. I enjoyed that. I will be watching the rest of them.
0: The that rest of is, the seasons. Sorry. I will say, cooking shows are not my thing. I get really tired of them. They all seem like the same thing over and over again. But every time you have the Great Brit- British Bake Off on, I get sucked in because uh, because it's so long following the same people. You know, I get like really invested in how those people are doing and such. You mm-hmm. know. So it is, it is a really good series. And it's well, and then I started
1: following addicting. my favorite person from season one. Oh. So like, and now she has a cookbook and I was like, oh, yay. So like, not only do you get drawn in but apparently they're all drawn in with each other too that's cool so that makes me feel really. how many good.
0: seasons are there i think
1: there's about six or seven Woo!
0: you got a ways I to go my gosh
1: i could be wrong go okay. do your homework and go do it yourself that's your homework
0: <laughs> but it's on netflix for anyone who's interested yeah gotcha all right well my week in review i decided to do a horror double feature apparently trying to catch up on a couple movies first i'll talk about the movie from this year i watched pet cemetery from earlier this year it just came fresh on to the uh, the disc dispensaries and netflix and all that sort of stuff it's directed by a couple people i'm not familiar with kevin kolsch and dennis widmeyer who apparently directed mama 2 i believe another film i haven't seen i haven't even seen mama 1 but i've heard good things about mama at any rate this stars jason clark amy summits john Lithgow. it is of course based on the classic stephen King novel which i'm a fan of i think it's one of his more literary uh works and of course uh a lot of people know already someone already took a crack at this and back in 1989 i think it might have even made it to my 1989 list when we did that i think it did yeah because you spoke about what it was on the... yeah it's by mary lambert fairly faithful to the book more or less this movie is you know for the first hour for the most part it's fairly faithful but then like the last 30 40 minutes goes way off the rails the what's interesting about the story in general is to me it's a story about grief and whether or not grief provides enough of a a reason to play god Hmm. and i think there's a lot of like things that the story is is kind of wrestling with and toying with at its core this version of it however seems a little too interested in changing things up and too interested in you know in being surprising and shocking that it sacrifices character and theme
1: oh that's unfortunate
0: yeah and i'm specifically speaking to the last 30 to 40 minutes of the film um I don't want to spoil anything, but there are some major deviations that the film makes—not just in the end, but in like the halfway point of the story, where a lot of the grief in the story comes from. But you know, someone once said that it's rare that the actors in a film in a film is what makes a film bad or fail. And I think we're going to hear in this episode a couple examples where that's true. The actors are doing their their best; they're putting everything in to their work, but it's the material that fails them. So Jason Clark's doing um, really good work; he's fairly dependable actor. John Lithgow as uh, Judd is great, very well cast. But I think ultimately, the material, the writing, the the directions they want to go, and The story, to try to shake things up, just uh, don't work. It's tough. It's tough because you either follow this thing that's very familiar for most people faithfully and you come across as you got to come up with, if you're going to deviate from a book, you got to come up with a new interesting take, right? An interesting angle that is actually going to bring something new and interesting to it. And I don't think they do that. I think they lack substance as a result. So that's Pet Cemetery from this year. The next movie I saw from last year was Halloween.
1: Was that good? Because I hope with all my heart that Jamie Lee Curtis was amazing because I think mm. she's great.
0: So, yes, is my short answer. It is good. I was quite satisfied. I'm very familiar with 1978's Halloween. Seen it a few times. Watched it with you.
1: Now I can never go near a bush again.
0: Right. Yeah, a big <laughs> shrub and near a street. <laughs> you never knew who's going to be. I will cross the street. Yeah. I will
1: walk in the middle of the road if I have to. Right. That's how effective that little tiny bush is. Three, five second scene is yeah. on me.
0: Yeah, no, it's great stuff. It's great stuff. And of course, so are there
1: moments like that in this one?
0: I'll tell you. I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's, of course, the original is the thing that launched a long period of slasher films. It inspired Jason Voorhees, Freddy Krueger, everybody that came out in the 80s, right? All can be traced down back to Michael Myers in 1978. So this movie, of course, it had its own series of films throughout the 80s and onward. This film retcons all of them. Mm-hmm. Even Halloween 2, which supposedly furthered the character's lore, this movie dismisses as just rumors. So this is... A oh, p-
1: that's a nice, neat way to do that. Right, yeah. Okay.
0: This is directed by David Gordon Green, who's a very... he's He's got a mixed bag of a career of different types of genres and, and styles. Uh, he did, like, Pineapple Express... But he also did, like, uh, uh, not Mud, but... He, oh, Joe. I think he did Joe, if I remember correctly. Let me look him up. But he's done... And, and he's also done, like, Your Highness. And he's friends with Danny McBride, who co-wrote the script on this. And so it was a very exciting Sounds project. like it was
1: very personal for everyone.
0: Yeah, these are people who are, like, clearly Intimate. fans of the film, the original, mm-hmm. right? So... And it and actually shows in the film because it revisits locations from the original film and stuff, you know, which is very cool. As you alluded to, it brings back Jamie Lee Curtis, who never seems to get tired of these <laughs> films. You know, she's a huge fan of the Halloween series and very grateful for the original film. And yes, I'm looking up David Gordon Green right now i'm right he did joe he did prince avalanche the sitter uh pineapple express all the real girls he's got a very like very all over the place career what's also very interesting about his involvement in this film is he is showing restraint Um, what i mean by that is he isn't interested in going like grossing us out He's not interested in just going really shocking us or anything like that. The, by my count, there are eight can't kills in this film that are off camera and six that are on camera. If you don't, Wait, so
1: there's like fourteen in total.
0: If if you don't count like whatever kills may be involved with his escape, Michael Myers' initial escape, because oh, okay. of course he is captured. Oh, so he's more in, than that. He's in prison, all this sort of stuff, right? And so like, mm-hmm. Laurie Strode's been afraid of him getting out someday. He does get out, and but what's interesting is eight of the kills are out of frame, you know, and only six are in frame, and of those six, only like three. Are like actually gory kills, so you know I thought it was really interesting that David Gordon Green's showing some restraint. He doesn't want, he's not trying to gross us out with this, and I I enjoyed it for that. I appreciate it for revisiting those old locations, but as it's introducing the cast of characters, I'm like the entire time I'm like. I just see a bunch of dead bodies here. <laughs> you know, like, I just see a body count know climbing, right? End, yeah. Yeah, and it does, like, some of the deaths are, as such, a little predictable, you know? Um, are there
1: any deaths that are really significant, that are really sad when I don't, it happens?
0: I don't want to say... I will say there's three generations introduced mm. in this uh, film of Lori's, Right. And I won't say whether or not anything ends tragically for any of those generations, but Judy Greer plays her daughter. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and then she has a granddaughter who's in high school and has a dance and all that sort of stuff. But I, I, I'll just say like, I'll just wrap up by saying, um, this is a solid, solid film, David Gordon Green and danny mcbride and their co-writer there's three of them together that worked on this script all did a really great job with this trying to make it honor the original be worthy of the original you know something that's going to stand above all the um detritus that's come out since the original because let's face it it's not all been great stuff and four through six especially is considered deplorable so um, i think they achieve what they're aiming for i I give that film a seven out of ten So that's Halloween from uh, last fall. Now, Shanna, last time we were recording, on the day that we last recorded our last episode, Netflix aired Stranger Things 3. And that is our week in review. What sort of thoughts would you like to share with our audience about Stranger Things 3?
1: I was very pleased with the third season. We were watching the second season with our son, and you know, it was starting to get tedious for both of us because it was the second time we were watching it, but I was like, Yeah, you and me,
0: yeah. Let's
1: power through so that we're fresh for season three.
0: Yeah, and we weren't necessarily big fans of season two, right?
1: I mean, I'm always happy to see the kids, Mm -hmm. but did I think it was the best way to handle the show, write the show? No. So, I was very pleased with this one. I had concerns when I realized what elements they were making use of um, because it's happening during the... Is it the Cold War?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, it's absolutely. happening
1: during that. And I didn't want it to be like, okay, like please don't be stereotypical and stupid with the Russians because mm-hmm. like they deserve more. So... I was fairly pleased with it. I mean, like, you could tell that cinematography-wise they took it another level up because the lighting on everyone was so luscious and gorgeous. And, I mean, color gel on the background, slightly touching their hair, and then beautiful, like, I I think it's beauty or butterfly light is the technical term on their face. And it was just everything looked very pleasing Mm. and very saturated in color. And I like that's the way to go, because if you look at the fashion at the time, too, that's where they were going was Mm. like everything popping. Um, It was a great commentary, you know, a mall becoming available in an area, because I think that's what happens in the first episode so that's not a spoiler right so the you know it's uh, a lovely background is how small businesses are being affected by the big mall being there
0: oh yeah yeah, and that's
1: important too it's in the background you're only really going to notice it if you have experience with that right um i loved how they went with you know because this is like two years later or something
0: no it's the next year it's 1985
1: Okay, because everyone seemed to take a jump in their development. Mm -hmm. I really like where they went with the characters. This was just a really pleasing show, Mm -hmm. and I don't want to say anything else because I feel like I could spoil something. But I know, right? Yeah, I was really happy with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was too. I, I really. There is parts of season two that I dread, dreaded rewatching. I just was not looking forward to now. Our son happened to go ahead and finish season two on his own. So, inadvertently, he spared me of having to re-watch some of those uh, elements that I dreaded.
1: Not that it's okay to but, do that.
0: <laughs> but at the same time, I also feel like I would have benefited from re-watching season two's finale in going yeah. into this. Because there's certain elements, certain themes... From that, are in season three that feel like I would have like been benefited from a refresher on how season two ended. I won't get into specifics as to what those things are, but I really think season three is arguably the best season of the series. It's, I think, like season one is really good, it's really solid, but it was definitely an introductory season for me. Okay. You know, and I even back then I was like I would be okay if it was just this limit, one season as a limited series. But I feel like when you come this far into season 3 after going through those two seasons, there's so much in this season that just works and clicks and it's just so much more enjoyable and fun. There's a girl friendship that 11 has. Mm-hmm. And it's really great to see like 11 blossom up a little bit more. She's she's a lot more like a girl in this season well, than in a lot, previous season. She's a
1: lot more who she wants to be. Well, she's like She hasn't got papa controlling her and she hasn't got you know, she hasn't got Hopper controlling her, mm-hmm. something as simple as her fashion. Yeah. Now she's going to break away from those things and identify, like, figure out her own identity, which is lovely.
0: Yeah, she's a lot more like a normal girl than she has been in past uh, seasons as a result. And I really enjoyed that. The soundtrack in this season is amazing. and I love, <laughs> like, every single song that, that that is featured in this season is amazing. I don't know if there's a soundtrack specifically for this season or not, but you know it's a great little taste of 80s some of the best of 80s music right Mm -hmm. the references for that year are great the main bat the main conflict is really interesting you mentioned the rations i was a little worried about what's going on there i feel like what they've done there is satisfying during the course of the season we get new characters too and i
1: love the new characters
0: yeah, well, I should say one's not necessarily new. One's just grown up a little, and I'm not a fan of her. She's she's oh my a
1: gosh, get over brat, it, she's, Lucas's
0: sister. Yeah, I'm going to look up her name right now. Well, at this point, but, is
1: she ten?
0: Oh, that girl's got to be like twelve or something. Okay,
1: because then it, her attitude makes sense. Then, yeah. and and
0: boy, does she have attitude!
1: So the girl that plays Erica is
0: Priya Ferguson is the actress's name. She was driving me nuts in this season. <laughs> but the new character I was going to bring up—I'm
1: sorry—I loved her to pieces. I thought I would not mess with that that girl, and oh? then the woman she's going to become—I would not mess with her either, you know. And if anyone does, I'm going to sit there and eat my popcorn and watch as it unfolds. <laughs>
0: she has a couple redeeming scenes in the season but boy she's like front-loaded with sass Maya Hawk who is Ethan Hawk's daughter is who I was going to bring up oh, she's a welcome addition to this and this and she gets wrangled into the shenanigans uh, and she's just she's just delightful and fun and and very humorous but Overall, I really enjoyed this season quite a bit. We even get uh, not to not to say any specific, but not everybody survives this season, and I'm grateful for that actually because I really think it ups the the stakes and and uh, makes us realize oh like our characters are not safe.
1: Yeah, you know? I mean we lost characters in season two as well,
0: but we have. Hmm. I, mm, there's a difference I'm not going to explain the difference okay, fine. but there's a difference fine you get to have that <laughs> fine is there any other thoughts you had on uh, Stranger Things uh, season 3
1: I think what I truly love about the show uh, this season in particular is that we all mess up as humans for how long we mess up varies person to person but at the end of the day you know we're we're all human and we've all been hurt and how we're dealing with that hurt depends on how our personality is developed Mm -hmm. and at some point you got to pay the piper there's going to be something redeeming that happens Mm -hmm. and i felt like that was done really well in this season with particular characters and i just i really appreciate that because it's so much better than the one-dimensional oh he's the bad guy she's the bad guy Mm -hmm. that's a good guy that's a good girl you know like whatever
0: mm-hmm.
1: so i really really appreciate watching like that
0: yeah i agree completely and quick shout out winona Ryder, some of her best work ever in this I season i love her so she's fantastic so that's stranger Things three let us know what you thought and that about does it for our week in review that leads us to the main event which is our review of the Lion King. Life's not fair, is it, my little friend? While some are born to feast, others spend their lives in the dark, begging for scraps. Everything you see exists together in a delicate balance.
1: While others search for what they can take, a true king searches for what he can give. Run away, Simba, and never return. Must take your place in the circle of life.
0: And that's from the trailer to Disney's The Lion King, which is their latest remake of their old animated features. We've had two others already this year. They're trying to call this the Summer of Disney. They've had Dumbo. They've had Aladdin. They... And they're, they're including Toy Story 4 and this film in there somewhere of Disney. No, 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 It's no. interesting marketing. Disney, but...
1: I mean, like, Toy Story 4, like, that's a different thing. Okay. No, that's that's not... Pixar. But,
0: yeah, at any rate, so we've had two other of these remakes this year alone. Dumbo and Aladdin. Shanna, you and I skipped those two films. That was Al- not happening. Aladdin ended up being one of the two or three highest grossing films of the year so far. And now we have Lion King, arguably the best film of their second golden age in the 90s, the crown jewel. When we get into our review, first of all, we talk about the good, what we liked about a film, then we move on to the bad, what didn't work for us about a film, and then talk spoilers and final thoughts. So, does this Lion King justify itself and its existence? Or is it just a cynical cash grab by Disney?
1: I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of a cash grab because let's be honest. Why are you going back and redoing something? Mm-hmm. If it, like that's a cash grab, okay. and then maybe it's like if you change something enough, okay, then you're you're evolving to what's happening now. Mm-hmm. Great, you get points, but they don't really get points for that here. However. I have a long answer. Okay. And my succinct answer is yes, it's partially a cash grab because Mm -hmm. why, like, otherwise, why did they make it? And then, like, is it worth being made? Some yes, some no, but more yes than no, in my opinion.
0: All right. So let's talk about what you liked about the film.
1: Okay. So. First of all, I was very skeptical. I think we all know how skeptical I was at first. And Mm -hmm. it's because I'm very protective of the old film. Because remember, while I was growing up in South Africa, we got like my family, we went to the lion park, much like the zoo, but better. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Like once a month, just about. Maybe not in the winter months. So... The Lion King was a very important film for me, and it was also a representation of the African continent as well. Mm. And when you're on a continent that doesn't often get represented in a very positive light, because we're coming out of apartheid at this time, you grow attached to what does represent your continent, and if it's good, even more so, which it was brilliant, as you've already discussed. So here's the predicament that I found myself in while I was watching this. I realized several things. I realized I am very attached to all the music performed in the Lion King, the singing and the instrumental pieces equally.
0: The Hans Zimmer score, as well as Elton John's from the original.
1: The next thing I found myself realizing was that I love all the characters, every single one, even Sarabi, you know, all the way to the ants that are carrying the leaves, you know, with the backlighting that look amazing and the different personalities that each character represents. I love certain lines from the film, like, your son is awake, before sunrise, he's your son. You know, it's like, oh, I guess we're going to use that line in our household eventually. I love the enhancement based on realistic behaviors of the animals, such as pouncing and how the cubs play. It's very particular that exists in the animation. And from the Lion King animated version, we have the best villain and therefore the best villain song out of the whole of disney i feel so when i watched this my inner child had a good time at certain points in the film at certain points i got choked up because i realized i was really missing all the animals that i'm so used to being surrounded by for the better half of my life and now there they were they were all together there and my brain did a short circuit of, well, this looks like National Geographic, but it's not because as soon as you see them talking, mm-hmm. your brain sh- kind of short circuits and says, "Hey, mm-hmm. this isn't right."
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I was going through a lot of cynicism. Like I was fighting to cry for the first, you know, number.
0: Like you wanted sun- to cry. Like I wanted or you're to cry. Resisting.
1: I wanted to cry, but I was also resisting it because I was like, "No, this isn't the real Lion King," mm-hmm. you know. So yep, it was yep. this very interesting ping pong thing happening with me. Yes. Now there were ap- there were absolutely a few moments of, "Oh my god, that's awesome and that's cute," but there were also moments of disappointment.
0: Okay, what was the what was the stuff you liked? The awesome and cute.
1: I loved seeing the animals a little bit more realistically because you and i went on safari Mm -hmm. and we got to see a lion doing the rounds and we got to see the lioness with her cubs and how they were playing but not too far away because mommy gets upset
0: right and also heard what a lion actually sounds like and how they make that chugging sound and stuff yeah
1: they did all the sounds really well mm. and they in- they definitely incorporated more realistic sounds mm-hmm. with you know overlaying with the talking mm-hmm. and the body language was done so much better there's a scene in the animated version where Simba and Nala are back together and he's over her kind of much like a human would be if you you know were about to to give your person a kiss. Mm. And I always felt so disturbed by that as a child because I knew that lions didn't behave that way Mm. necessarily. Oh, I had never seen it. And they fixed that in this version. And she's just looking at him how realistically it would be. So I loved that. Another thing is that they cleared up a few things. Mm. So when Rafiki... Realizes that Simba is gone. There's this kind of sadness that he feels that's depicted. But then, when right. he realizes that Simba is alive,
0: so this is where it gets really interesting. At what point do we? Well, that's what, what, do, what I'm. What do we consider by. a spoiler, right?
1: Like, I assume that if you're at least in a westernized part of the world, I assume <laughs> westernized part of the world. that you have been exposed to the Lion King animated version. And if you haven't, then I don't know who you are.
0: Right, right. So I guess, I guess let's leave anything that wasn't that isn't exactly as it was. Okay. In the original. All right. Let's leave those for the spoilers.
1: Here's what I. How about that? Sure, that's fine. I'll wrap my thing up. Here's why it's worth going to see. Nala gets way more screen time than the original. Okay. Here's why it's good to see. You get to see some more realistic versions of the animals. Uh Here's why it's good to see. There's a beautiful number that was done a little differently in this movie compared to the other one that I did prefer. Here's why you should go see it. You get to see what animals more or less look like. I know it's CG, but you get a more realistic depiction.
0: Hmm. Okay, so
1: that's what I liked.
0: Okay, can I talk about what I what I thought was good about the film? I think
1: that would be great.
0: Okay, basically for me, I think there is some beauty in the visual effects that is used here. This is not quite this is this weird thing where it's not quite live action, right? Because it's all CGI animals, but it's not. We're not talking Pixar here where it's like clearly cg animation right it's some in between where it's almost like planet of the apes performance capture mm. meets like you know not it's some weird That's technology that yeah it's some weird technology that john favreau has developed for, who's the director who's kind of developed between jungle book and this film he also helmed the jungle book remake yes So there's some beautiful aspects as a result of this technology. But I'll get into more about that a little bit later. Really what was good about this rendition was the second act. I I basically have discovered after thinking about it. Because we saw the movie last night. Opening night. And I realized everything i did like everything i found i caught myself enjoying about this movie is the second act of this movie and do you know what is what is the most defining characteristic about the second act of this movie
1: <laughs> is it is it timon and pumba
0: it is timon and pumba okay they are the best thing about this movie voiced by seth rogan and billy agner Billy Eichner, whom I could not place, but does such a great job in his comedic (laughs) delivery of lines and his rapport with Seth Rogen as Timon and Pumbaa, respectively. They almost make this film forgivable, alone. Their, their, Their dialogue and performances are such... They don't exactly try to replicate word for word everything that Nathan Lane and, oh, I just forgot the guy who played uh, Pumbaa. It's not Billy
1: Crystal, is it? No,
0: no, no. Nathan Lane played Tim- Timon last time. I uh, just, Ernie Sabella. Ernie Sabella played okay. Pumbaa. They do not try replicating word for word the rapport that those two had, and which I think is to their credit so i like that i like the hakuna matata in this ver in this film i like thing there's a certain spin that they have Mm. in the climax of the film we could talk about that in spoilers basically everything about timon and puma for the most part worked surprisingly well
1: i have to also add you bring up a good point about those characters i thought shenzi was amazing in this one i love Whoopi goldberg i can't remember which one she was which hyena she was in uh, Mm -hmm. the animated version but i thought that shinji was awesome in this version had a real uh, there's a
0: sinister aspect to her right and kind of a leader she's a little more of a leader she's more of a leader yeah and here
1: it's very clear that that is what she is
0: I'm looking up the performer right now. Of course, it's taking me a moment on IMDb. It looks like that's Florence Kasumba, who is someone that's new to me. Uh, and it was Alfrey Woodard, by the way, who played Sarabi in this version.
1: Oh, I like that, too.
0: Yeah. Here's the th- here's one thing that you and I are dancing around. Mm. The performers, you know, they they they've been touting in the marketing how big the cast is in this film. They've got all these talented names to bring this great film to life. And I will say like the cast is giving their all like the cast is doing what they can with the material like amazing i do not fault the cast at all with this and and honestly like beyonce is good it's nice that they got james earl jones back as Mufasa, reciting the same lines as before Uh, because he
1: is irreplaceable
0: right john oliver as zazu makes a great substitute for the original voice, I think it was Rowan Atkinson who played Zazu. Oh, before God, I love him. You know, Ch- uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor is is he's doing what he can with it, but he—it's no fault of his that he just can't compare to Jeremy Irons as Scar, and the list goes on. Keegan Michael Key is one of the more distinct uh, hyena voices. And so on and so forth. Um, They are not largely to fault. They are actually doing what they can with this material. So I enjoyed them. But let's get into what didn't work for us in this film. Shannon, did you have anything? You seem to have liked the film. You seem to have been won over by it and Mm. that it's justified itself for you. Was there anything you didn't like about the movie?
1: I didn't like the depiction of Scar. Okay. There was something off about him that wasn't quite as fantastically.
0: Are you talking about the visual of Scar or Scar in general? Uh,
1: the, like I loved, I loved Scar's voice. Scar's voice was great. Okay, I have no problem with that. I had a hard time with Scar because of the way he looked and the way that you know it—it it was realistic. This is how a disheveled older. Uh,
0: Mm -hmm. A lion
1: that is not in charge of the pack. This is how they look. Mm
0: -hmm. But it
1: didn't work for me because I see Scar in a very particular way. He's very angular, Mm. very... uh, Like lean? Still has fabulous hair, Yeah, you know? And so... He's, he looks more ragged. He's more, but beautiful too. Because that's like... In this me, version,
0: he looks more ragged.
1: In this one, he's more ragged. Yeah. He's like, I'm not sure if his eyes are working. <laughs>
0: you know, mm-hmm. there's hardly ever
1: a catch light in his eye. Interesting. Um, so he looks very flat Okay. most of the time. Okay. And it looks like he's still like whoever, like, I guess Mufasa scratched him to when he was challenged, and it yeah, looks is a, like it's still oozing.
0: There is a you know? suggestion that he tried challenging Mufasa in the past. Well, yeah, and because... that's why he looks the way he looks.
1: I take it that tradition says that you can if you feel the need to. So, I take it
0: it's Scar's attitude that made him feel like he needed to. And that's but, yeah.
1: traditional for Scar. Yeah. So, like, Scar didn't quite work for me here Mm -hmm. but it's okay because the hyenas worked for me so Mm. there's always this balance
0: (sighs) that's interesting that you say that it's okay that scar the main villain of the film didn't work for you because his henchmen did i disagree with i guess
1: it's that i a better way to say it is i feel happy about a lot of elements in this film Mm -hmm. and then i feel very deeply disappointed about other elements and the thing I feel most deeply disappointed by is the depiction of Scar the visual depiction of Scar mm. and at times I feel that way about Mufasa too
0: okay so really quickly what other elements were you d- deeply disappointed by in the I was
1: deeply disappointed by anything related to Scar so the depiction of him as well as his song I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Be prepared. Really? Mm -hmm. Like, this is how you're going to do it? Are you serious? I I really, I had a hard time.
0: One of the best villain songs in Disney lore.
1: Yeah. There wasn't even Mm -hmm. that much background singing, which makes that song so amazing in the animation Let's get
0: into that more in spoilers. But yes, it is different.
1: I think that's all I've got for now.
0: All right. Well, I think it's fair to say that I had more issues... you. Oh, Um, do go on. (laughs) Now, I'm going to sound like the grump between us once again here. Of course, you know, I think very few people would blame me for going into this with great reluctance. This is probably Disney's best film of the 90s, hands down. Probably the best film since the golden age of Disney uh, at, at that point. And so to choose that film as the as the film to remake again, like why remake your best quality films Mm -hmm. other than to prey on people's nostalgia. So that way you can earn as much money as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. So this film really had a steep climb to justify itself in all honesty. So I had some issues with it. You mentioned the Circle of Life opening title number. Right. Mm. That is a number that is designed specifically to suck you in and make you feel, you know, and make you feel. Remember how the original made you feel. And, you know, one of the greatest pre-title sequences ever in film.
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Right. And I couldn't and I could I could feel myself being manipulated to getting sucked into and and feeling. And I was like, but at the same time, I was like, this is just a carbon copy of Mm -hmm. what was done before. And I couldn't help, I don't know how many times you heard me sigh throughout this movie, but I think a lot of them were in the first act and in the third act.
1: And then our hand signals off
0: like, "Eh, it's okay. Yeah, specifically be prepared. I agree with you with that. But like throughout the film, I couldn't help but feeling Yeah, this is a carbon copy of what was already great before. Mm. You know, the songs... Be Prepared is a really good example. The songs, in general, are lacking. I really think Hakuna Matata is the one that worked. It managed to Hmm. work. All the other ones, The Circle of Life, I Just Can't Wait to Be Keen, all of these other songs are lacking. I know beyonce got a chance to write a new song for it that's used in uh, as we get into the third act of the film and that's nice that's pretty it's it works as background music not necessarily a song that stands out on its own per se but you know it's Beyonce scene it and who's going to complain about beyonce's scene mm-hmm. but on the whole the songs are just just uh fall so much short of what we've already heard and seen you know the visuals is, is you know yes some of them are pretty but some also like are better or more purity animated and it's part of the problem with taking on this endeavor is there's a lot of things that you can do that lends itself well and naturally in animation that you can't do in a quote unquote live action or a realistic scenario Mm. and they do their best to dodge those things but it's also one of the reasons why stuff like i just can't wait to be king suffers
1: yeah i think when that number comes on in this film you realize how realistic the colors are prior to that number things don't look as saturated and colorful as the animated version because that is not how it looks. Mm. My problem with Zazu in this film is he isn't blue enough. He's blue enough in real life. Mm-hmm. He's as close to it as you're going to get. And for and, the real bird. Yeah, right? and that's it. That's mm-hmm. what you get. It's
0: like a horn beak, I think.
1: But I miss that beautiful, trusting blue symbolic color. Right. And I miss the bright, intense pink of the flamingos. They are not that Pink in real life. In real life, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And the best part of I just can't wait to be keen in this film was the inclusion of the cheetahs when they're running... The Which is like cubs. a
0: blink in your message. Well,
1: because it's cheetahs, right? So <laughs> <laughs> you know, the cheetahs, the cheetah cubs, and the lion cubs are like you know running walking together. together, and the yeah. cheetahs are like gone, right. you know, because that they're like oh yeah, an opportunity. Yeah, yeah. I, I beat the king in a race, you know, <laughs> the future king. Right. So. That is the only good part about that.
0: And on top of it all, like with animation, you can actually have your characters emote. Right? You're anthropomorphizing mm-hmm. yeah. animals. With and
1: eyebrows and whiskers and
0: Yeah, all kinds very of things, right? It's very hard to do that in a quote unquote realistic
1: live action Visual version scenario. Right? Of these yeah. animals.
0: Like sometimes some of these things work, but largely it's not as effective and they try what they can with cameras. Like they literally mimic zoom shots and stuff with Simba and and key scenes and other things. But it just, it does not have the same effect or weight as the animation animation does.
1: You know, and I think that I just can't wait to begin as a very good example of what's right and what's wrong between these two films. Mm. And, you know, there's that part of, I think it's like a a, a drum and a hum. Yeah, yeah is, yeah. is when the elephants or it's the, oh. uh, it's not hippos, it's the elephants yep. that do the stomping. Yes. And they're, they're moving between that. Yes. And that wasn't in here. And I was like, where the fuck is the stomping? Because oh, this... realistically, the lion cubs would be dead if that was realistically <laughs> happening.
0: There's something you that know? they try for similar. But anyway, if I can get, yeah, just sorry. get through these. Um, the last thing is, it felt to me, if you're dealing with real animals, quote unquote, then you should be able to get a sense of how like, dangerous these animals are real in real life. Oh,
1: I'm so glad you brought that up. And I was
0: really struck in the third act, especially, at how bloodless everything really is. Mm-hmm. And it really felt to me like, like, well, first of all, you can't have things both ways. If you're going to it's depict true. real lions and real lions are going to attack, then I feel like you really need to show what a real lion is capable of. Not out of like a need for some bloodlust, but I think it's also educational and helpful for people to see. If like you're
1: going to make it look like National Geographic.
0: Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. It, 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 it kind of took me out of it a little bit. It just felt... Like we're not like it wants to be real, but it isn't real. Like it just didn't feel right. You yeah, know?
1: you know what? You're right because even Scar is eating a carcass, on t- you know he's just, eating something. Yeah, his And just he, so he doesn't can't see. even have blood on his mane, which we know on safari, right. the blood lasts on their coat for like a day. That's it takes a, good a while point. to get it off.
0: However, I think he does have some on his chin in that moment. But you sure as heck don't see it's messy what he's it gets all doing. Over them. Like they frame it so you don't see. So it's it's it just didn't feel right. So let's get into spoilers um, for those who haven't seen The Lion King. Shanna, do you think that the good outweighed the bad?
1: Well, I've already said why you should go watch it for those particular points that I mentioned. Mm -hmm. Like, go see Nala. Mm -hmm. She's got a bigger role. Mm -hmm. I say rent it. Mm. You can stand to rent it Mm. or wait for it to become available on the streaming platform that they'll release later. Mm
0: -hmm. Oh, yeah, because it's going to Disney+. Plus. It's not going to go to Amazon or anything. I don't
1: think that you necessarily have to see it in cinema unless you did grow up with animals the way I did. Then, you know... Wait.
0: well and even yeah either way it sounds like wait because it might be disappointing in some ways too in that sense well
1: i also think like look i've been disappointed by the beauty and the beast mm-hmm. live action i've been disappointed by all uh, the
0: things you <laughs>
1: know well i'm just trying to think like at least with maleficent
0: you like a different angle you were a defender of de- yeah. that's the one that you liked cinderella you weren't a fan i was of. not a fan of that thank yeah. you
1: so, like, just, just be realistic with your expectations mm. is what I would say.
0: Mm. I think that this, this isn't a complete trash fire. There's some things to enjoy in the film, but, no, I do not think the good outweighs the bad. In this situation, and having talked it out a little bit more, I think my score for this film is more firmly a 5 out of 10. But you liked it a little bit more. What would your score be?
1: I, just a six.
0: A six out of ten? Just yeah. a little bit more. Just a little okay. higher for Very little cool. reasons. All right. So for those who haven't seen The Lion King. Who are you? No, <laughs> Please, don't throw your money at this. We're we, 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 we aren't necessarily fans of the message to Disney that we want more of these remakes of their best films. But if you haven't seen this film... Skip ahead to film faves if you're still interested in seeing this film. Skip ahead to film faves. We're going to get into spoilers for Lion King, and final thoughts now.
1: I absolutely loved Timon and Pumbaa, with the Wimberware song. So the lion sleeps tonight.
0: Oh and yeah, that's right. It's
1: it's just the two of them, and I'm like, oh well, you know, good. They've they've directly taken that from the movie, and then which is in the trailer. Yeah. But then other animals start to join in. Yes. And I'm like, oh, my God. And, and that some is of them, like,
0: really adorable animals, oh, too. Oh,
1: God. So cute yeah. and so beautiful mm-hmm. and just lovely. And, like, they're all singing together. And then Nala comes out of fucking nowhere. Yeah. And I'm absolutely petrified because what you had mentioned earlier was, like, these are big animals. Mm-hmm. These are realistic animals. They are frightening. Even yeah. if you're on a safari, you are told to sit the fuck still yeah. and not fuck around. Yes. When you're allowed to go and pet the cheetah, don't fuck around. Yes. You know.
0: Yeah. That so was. I a...
1: was terrified when Nala came.
0: Well, and that was a great comedic moment because it's you don't even see Nala necessarily; you just see a quick flash. But you, yeah. <laughs> they're seeing it all of a sudden like <laughs> ah! there, there, there's a big scream. <laughs> You know, and, and so, it's so comedic. You and know?
1: you know, like the poor little—I think it was an Impala. The poor guy. You know, his primal fear is ingrained in his DNA because yeah. that's how it's meant to be. Right. And Simba comes out of nowhere and gives him the fright of his life. And it was earlier, because yeah. yeah earlier because Simba wanted the butterflies.
0: Right. Yeah. And
1: I loved. Simba's ignorance because he wasn't yeah. because of how he now grew up. Yeah, yeah. He's like, well, what do you mean? And the yeah. he, like, We're all
0: friends. Oh, like, yeah.
1: Nothing. Nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, gotta go calm down his primal fear. <laughs> right, that's yeah. there for a reason. Right. Uh, so let's talk about Rafiki. So Oh,
0: thank you. Yes. Yeah, that's really huge important. difference. Huge difference. Yeah. He has such a small part in this film.
1: He does, but Every minute, every second he's on screen, I love him
0: to pieces. Yes, but how much screen time does he have? Like, total, like, maybe eight minutes? Maybe
1: eight. Yeah. I think you're about right there. If anything, ten. So, here in the animation, we see that Rafiki has mourned the mourned the loss of Simba. And you can tell he had, like, so much beautiful pride in Simba with a little mural. Or uh, I think it's like a... Which, a, how they did I think it's a spiritual mural. How they
0: did that... In, In this, this version, film was different. Yeah, I can I'm trying to remember how he did it.
1: Rafiki did it by crushing things and okay. all by hand. Okay. In this version, it's like it's,
0: these bugs kind of come together and formulate. And that's why this I feel like it's. Shape.
1: it's that's why I feel like it's more spiritual, more sure. African spirit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I appreciated that. Now, the thing that was very confusing in the animated version is when he discovers that Simba is still alive.
0: Okay, Simba lands, remind me. R- d- 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 jog my memory. I'm going to tell you. Okay.
1: Just okay. relax. Please. Here we go. <laughs> okay, okay. Okay. So Simba is... You know, he's just had that interaction with Timon and Pumbaa yeah. telling that, you know, they're like, what are those lights up there?
0: Yeah, um, right. The, where they're gazing at the stars. Yes, And
1: Timon is very simple about it. He's like, oh, it's stuck fireflies. Right.
0: And yeah. Simba's
1: like, it's actually more than that. It's, yes. It's more deep. And that's when he kind of has to go away because I guess that's one thing that he held on to. From his childhood. Yes, yes, absolutely. And he lands on some sort of seedling, sort of like a weed from the yard type thing. Uh, It's a whole bunch of them. From the grass. He just flops onto it. Yeah. And those seedlings go flying.
0: Okay, yes.
1: Now that's all I know. And somehow Rafiki, it gets to Rafiki and he smells it and he crushes it.
0: Uh, and he, he sees like, it like a vision or something. Yeah, something. something. Right.
1: It's almost like he's uh, tea leaf reading. Yes, 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 you know? yes. That's right, that's right. Um, but it may be called something else uh, sure, in sure. African terms, which unfortunately I do not know. And
0: yeah, more like that's, Swahili, right? Because they actually speak Swahili. Well, yes, yeah, yes. Which but... is uh, native to Kenya. Let's be very specific for our American audiences. This Africa, Kenya. We're in Kenya. Not all of Africa, right? A lot of people cannot discern... What part of Africa we're in?
1: That being said, in South Africa, there are Swahili speakers. Fair enough. uh, enough. That's why it sounded so familiar to me. That's this
0: American speaking out of ignorance.
1: Oh, Okay, great. Super. Now, that was confusing as a child because I was like, how did he tell that Simba was alive through the seedlings? Oh, he did tea leaf reading. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, so it, they get a magic pass essentially for me and my brain. Yeah,
0: this one is now better in, now that you say that. Now
1: in this one, mm-hmm. he flops down. There are no seedlings. Right, he but, shakes uh, his mane. His, his he's obviously shedding yeah. a little bit, yeah, uh, as lions do. If they if you ever see them fling with a light behind them, there is that is like furball heaven over there. Okay, and that. Transition. Not only does it eventually get to Rafiki, but it la- it, it flies through the lands, the different lands yes. that encompass the African continent. And, right. Um, it eventually lands on the, I think it's called the Jakobsboem. I could be wrong. It's what the giraffes eat. Yep. and the type
0: of tree. So the
1: giraffe ends up eating the fur, and I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> and it's like this moment yeah, of I'm like, thought, oh, no. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, I thought, oh, it ended there.
1: <laughs> and then we beautifully transition to the dung beetle doing his thing, and that is right. where the hair is. Which is
0: very well animated.
1: It's gorgeous, yep. and it's working so hard. And then the dung... Ball is so perfect and it falls apart and I'm like, like oh my god, that's my laugh. And so, <laughs> but the
0: hair, and the hair is in that. And the hair
1: is in that, and it continues on its journey. And then that is when we finally see the ant leaf backlight shot. Is when those ants okay. are carrying the leaves, and that okay. one ant is partic- in particular is carrying Simba's hair. Yep. And Rafiki's watching this this pattern go, yeah. and he's having a snack and. He sees the hair and he's like, thank you very much. And that's when he realizes that Simba's alive. Yes. And he realizes, because, uh, you know, you can tell that he's spiritual and he's in connection with the spirits, the ghosts, the whatever you want to know, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he's like, he's alive, Mufasa, he's alive. Yeah. And so he goes and, you know, has her shining moment with Simba.
0: Right. He does the same. Yeah. Um, I thought that was all beautifully done very well and so much
1: clearer very well done yes and very much encompassing like rethreading in the idea of there is a circle
0: circle of it's life. not a straight line yep.
1: with a slight curve That's as right. timon and pumba as timon likes to say so i really appreciated that i love that nala was featured better i love that you can see her she's trying to get away because we don't know we we know that she was hungry and looking for food. That's we didn't right. know. She just
0: kind of appeared in the yeah, original. we didn't yeah. know
1: that she was not only looking for help and not only was she looking for food, but she was also looking for help. Yeah. Essentially.
0: Which make uh, that works because they go through so much effort depicting how far away Simba mm-hmm. traveled. And Nala's not going to wander that far no. just for food, right? She's Surely on a mission. Surely she'll have found food before she's crossing the fucking desert and all sorts of things, right? Oh, my right? God. Yeah. So
1: I, I love that she was featured better. I really appreciated that because you can tell that when they are cubs, she is strong. Yeah. And she has to be. She's the lioness. She's the hunter. Yeah. So that is how it works in the animal kingdom.
0: Let's get to the other Timon pumba thing. Instead okay. of doing the hula dance in the third act.
1: Yes. They, that was it. That they, I wanted to say. They do a
0: great little tease of be our guest. And I'm like Tim Timon in particular what? is is trying to serve up Pumbaa. <laughs> and then it gets immediately as they're about to go into the song, it, it gets immediately interrupted by another scream and the hyena's is chasing them.
1: Great. That
0: <laughs> works very well.
1: Um, I have to say I really loved how Timon was animated. Yeah, you can yeah. very easily go and watch meerkats. My friend had a meerkat pet. Mm-hmm. And all of the movements that Timon made matched up with the personality that they created for the film and matched the actor's yeah. performance as well as Pumbaa.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there is anything else. Oh, and one, other th- one last thing for me, unless something else magically comes to my mind, that didn't work is everything having to do with the spirituality and the clouds and anything in the sky, that's another Mm. example of something that works really well and lends itself very well, Mm. gorgeously to animation, Mm -hmm. did not translate well enough here.
1: I mean, you could tell they were battling, couldn't you? Because what they did is it, it it was overcast when they arrived at the puddle for reflection time. And then all of a sudden, it was a rainstorm, but it wasn't necessarily how a rainstorm might look in the savannah. It, it's yeah, and it
0: was a lightning storm too. Yeah, because that's how they 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 like. They needed, instead of the clouds forming mm-hmm. at Mufasa and the clouds talking like Mufasa, you have the cloud, this huge cloud, and then you'll get an occasional lightning bolt through the clouds that makes it look lion-like.
1: Yeah, so. Here's where I think they could have done better with that. They needed more color, and they could have been fine doing it at night. Actually, it might have they might have been able to get away with it a little more. What yeah. they were doing is they were doing it during the day. And if you're doing it during the night, what happens at least on the African savanna is the clouds don't stay grey. They go into a sort of purpley um, and then violet kind of coloring.
0: Ah. So
1: they just needed to do it at a different time of day, and they would have been fine.
0: Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so uh, just a lot of things that just do not translate well. I like the technology. Let's just use it with for better material. Let's not try to remake material that's already great as is. Mm. Let's just try to come up with something original to, to use this technology with. Because I think there's promise and potential. But uh, let's just figure out other ways to do this. All right. Well, I think that about does it for the Lion King. Uh, What are your thoughts on the film? Did you rush out to see it? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com Now it's time for the final segment of the show, Film Fave. Film Faves is a segment of the podcast inspired by a feature I used to do on the Gibson Review blog wherein we count down our 12 favorite movies around a particular topic, often one marching year by year back through time. The idea behind this is not only to give you an idea of our taste in movies, but hopefully also expose you, the listener, to something maybe you've never seen before. And to that end, we try to point you in the direction where you can find some of these movies when available on streaming platforms. We specifically focus on Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime, and HBO Now. Anything else mostly is available to rent on Amazon. So you have to do a little bit of hunting. But we do um, note when a film is available on those streaming platforms. So with this episode, we are talking about the year 1984. And boy, what a year it is. I feel like the year 1984 is really the year that the 80s came into their own. And it's also in general a really great year, too, because I mean, like, music wise, you had great music from Prince, you had great music from Bruce Springsteen with his Born in the USA <laughs> album. I think you had uh, some The Unforgettable Fire by U2. I think uh, Madonna came out with great music, Private Dancer by Tina Turner. Yeah like a virgin came out for madonna Uh, van halen had 1984 come out with their song jump and several others there's some great soundtracks that year you had wham doing their hits There's just so many great 80s songs came out in 1984. And so it was such also a great year for film, too. Here's a couple notable things about the year in film in 1984. First of all, Walt Disney Pictures decided, okay, we're going to do live action films, but we're going to also skeer more towards adult stuff, too, because we don't want to just make stuff for kids. We have an entire other, uh, what do you call it, Demographic. Uh, thank you. Demographic out there. So they established Touchtone Pictures in 1984, which um, featured more m- mature subject matter. Also, TriStar Pictures came out in 1984. That was a joint venture with Columbia Pictures, HBO, and CBS. And also a really big development in 1984 is the creation of the PG-13 rating. We've seen a couple movies from 1984 kind of catching up on things that really pushed the envelope for a PG rated movie. And I guess the MPAA come July 1st was like, whoa, hold the phone. We're getting a little crazy here. (laughs) We need to
1: get some control. Reel it back in.
0: Yeah, we can't just have PG and R. There's got to be somewhere in the middle here. So they came up with PG-13 halfway through that year. So that's kind of fascinating. Now, Shannon, let's talk about box office for 1984. It's kind of fascinating. You know, we've done a few where it's like the, the 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 top five is like these really serious dramas or historical epics. And it's like, wow, taste of audiences have changed so much. But now you look at nineteen eighty four and it's much more in alignment with what you would see today. Mm. Not just because we have a lot of rehashes and, and reheats this decade of stuff from the past but it you know sensibility wise is the same you know so i'm going to tell you what the, uh, some of the top five highest grossing films of 1984 was and you tell me if you can guess slash remember what the number one highest grossing film of 1984 was here we go number five at 90.8 million dollars was the karate kid Number four, at $153 million, a huge leap forward, was Gremlins. And number three, at $179.8 million, was Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Mm. And number two was the box office behemoth at $229.2 million, Ghostbusters. So if Ghostbusters, Shannon was not the number one movie of 1984, what was?
1: It uh, must be The Terminator. <gasps>
0: you would think so, but absolutely was not. It, was it, it Footloose? It, it, it did not even break in the top ten. Footloose oh. was number seven oh. at $80 million. But shockingly enough, The Terminator, which is huge box office today, is not even in the top ten.
1: Was it The Never Story?
0: Also, not in the top ten. Oh, for heaven's sakes. I'll put what you was out of your misery. What it was, was it? Beverly Hills Cop, a okay. rated R cop film.
1: I guess that, that makes sense
0: now that you said it. That film made $234.7 million. Five million more than Ghostbusters. Fascinating, hey? All right, so award winners. That year we had Amadeus by Milos Forman about... Mozart, I believe. Sweeping the awards. Best Picture, Amadeus. You also had um, movies that we didn't catch up with. Places in the Heart, The Killing Fields. The more distinguished critics would probably put these films on their list. I don't think we're going to see these movies on our list, though.
1: No, you're going to see, like, fan kids. <laughs> like, fan kid type.
0: Maybe, list. yeah. yeah. Uh, As- the Palm Door, though, was won by Vim Wenders Paris, Texas which is a fine film you showed me recently. And, ooh, ooh. Let's see if you can figure out what these people have in common, my friend. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. What is Johnny Depp, Bobcat Goldwaite, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Seth Green, (laughs) Mary McDonnell, Francis McDormand, Prince... Tim Robbins and Jennifer Connolly all have in common.
1: Oh, I was gonna say they're born, but I guess it's their breakout role.
0: There's a the year that they debuted in film. And it mm. was actually the lo- list is actually quite extensive for a
1: lot of actors
0: who came out. I mean, that's just scraping the the top. Like Colin Firth, and Kyle McLaughlin, Andy McDowell. There's so many people that debuted that year tim robbins tim roth etc 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 i could go on forever it's a great year for debuts is the point now how about this shanna what does mandy moore paul dano olivia wilde the director of booksmart and scarlett johansson
1: well there we go there's the people that were born
0: they were all born yeah 1984 katie perry was also born that year as well as Avril levain i never would have thought that Avril levain and katie oh, perry are the same age isn't that weird they were actually a month apart uh, oddly enough so you know a pretty good year for births too actually mm-hmm. you know so that's a little bit about 1984 shannon was there anything that you noticed about the year and uh tell us a little about a bit about your number 12.
1: I noticed that this was where a lot of my all-time favorites come from. Is it? So, you know, we'll, we'll see that in my top four.
0: Okay. Um, okay.
1: So that was pretty interesting. I, I guess I was more interested in looking at 1984 than I was 1985 and 1986. Well,
0: 1985 was so hard that we had to create a j- yeah. combined list. Yeah. Yeah. So this one was a little bit easier, at least for me. Was it a little bit easier for you?
1: Like the first 5 were really easy for me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the first half of yeah, your list. okay. You know?
1: Cuz I was like very definite that oh my gosh, yeah, these movies, you know, the top top 4 in my list, they they affected my life, you know. Sure. But here we go. My number 12 is Star Trek 3: The Search for Spock.
0: Oh, okay.
1: So, of course, you know, they they've had the loss of Spock in the previous movie. Mm-hmm. And Captain Kirk, Admiral Kirk, has decided that he is going to go find Spock's body. Mm -hmm. I don't know. For some reason, I want to call him Severus Snape.
0: (laughs) That's so weird. (laughs) That's very weird.
1: Oh, both pitch black hair. So I guess that's where it's coming from. Anyway, and perfect eyebrows. So... Back to the and, point. And, and what
0: did you think of, of, of Star? Why did it make I, you? Worse? I
1: had a lot of fun with this film because really? I I'm fascinated by sped up physiology, and that's what we get to experience in some mm. way in this film. Definitely. And I I just I thought it was interesting watching that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it was. I think it was like my third Star Trek film.
0: It might have been. Yeah, because Maybe we fourth? did a marathon, and it has Christopher Lloyd as a as a clean on.
1: Yeah, that was exciting.
0: Yeah, very cool. Did not quite make my list, but it is my favorite of Star Trek's odd number of films, especially the original series of films. What did squeak onto my list at number 12 is available on Netflix. Did you mention where um, Search for Spock was available? Oh,
1: I'm that? so sorry. It's on Prime. Very Prime, good. Prime is like my favorite Non Netflix cool. thing.
0: So that's on Prime. My pick is on Netflix. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Not my favorite Indiana Jones film, but it is enjoyable. It is this prequel that takes place before Raiders of a Lost Ark, where Indiana Jones ends up in India, more or less, with a kind of a whiny gal pal. And his kind of—he has like a sidekick, a little Asian boy sidekick named Short Round. This is the film, one of the films that really pushed the MPAA into thinking, hmm, we really need to think, rethink this rating system, because when kids are watching a man reach into someone's chest and pull out their still pumping heart, and that heart goes aflame. You might want to rethink a little what is what what sort of age level we're we're talking. I remember because this thing was rated PG, when I was working childcare, I was like, Ah, it's allowed. We can show
1: this. Oh my god, please tell me you did not show it. <laughs> I was a
0: bit of a rebel. Oh uh, back then. You, you know, did show it? I did. Oh I remember though, god. like watching this as a little kid, five years old or whatever, in my it must have been five years old, in my dad's lap and it it's a dark. Yeah, you film. know why
1: you were in the lap? Because of that heart that gets set on fire.
0: I remember <laughs> like... eating Snickers bars in Dad's lap watching this film. You know, kind of sweet, but it was a darker film. So it was nice having the parental comfort. <laughs> that's so, to so speak. cute. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, that's uh, Neon Jones and the Temple of Doom. It, it's a, kind of a fun one. It's got some silliness and darkness in it.
1: Okay, so my number 11 is available on Prime. It is Dune. Ah. it seems to offer something a little different for sci-fi movie fans i feel first of all we're all, we are way into the future we are in the year ten thousand one hundred and ninety-one. yeah that's a, so, that's a bit i'll set know. my clock yeah we watch a family take compassionate control over the planet arrakis to harvest its spice murder and betrayal occur however a prophesied son paul played by carl mclaughlin who is like Smooth as a baby's bottom in that one. It's his debut? It's Yeah. He helps give back the planet to its natives. At first it feels like a little like Game of Thrones because we have to kind of pay attention to which... You know, there's a few families that are in charge of the galaxy. Mm -hmm. And so it's a little confusing at first.
0: And there is that power control they're trying to fight for. Yeah,
1: yeah. But... That's not the part I loved. I really loved the inner dialogue that was happening with each character. Something that I personally haven't experienced before. And the other thing I enjoyed thoroughly was Sting's Speedo he was wearing. (laughs) That was... Quite something. If if
0: it almost didn't happen too. You were if supposed for to come out nothing
1: naked. else to watch, go watch that, <laughs> and then try cosplay that at <laughs> <laughs> the next, <laughs> the next um, Comic Con.
0: Oh, fantastic! That was a recent discovery of yours. You being a David Lynch fan, a growing David Lynch fan. I'm glad you got to discover that and enjoyed it. My number eleven is Gremlins from Joe Dante. We've talked about before how this is not my favorite Gremlins movie, much to the chagrin of many people, I'm sure. But this is the film, of course, that doubles as a Christmas film about this fur this furball that is gifted by inventor father to son. I found in like a China shop. That its name is Gizmo. Gizmo, voiced by Howie Mandel. This gizmo has some rules. Rules get broken. Gizmo spawns a bunch of other little evil gizmos that turn into monsters that terrorize the town.
1: Because it's not enough that they're already little terrors.
0: Yes, and they, they get worse. Multiply and multiply and multiply. So this film is 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 fun. It's enjoyable. It's darker. It's, it's like a fun it's, it's horror. Pretty, yeah, it is. It's a nice little dip your toe into horror kind of thing. We talked about Six Cent and a couple other movies that are nice introductions into horror, universal monster movies. This is a good one too, and that's uh, I think I used it actually. On my son as a way to dip into horror because it has that sensibility of cuteness and and it kind of can work as a family film too. There is a Santa Claus spoiler though, so beware of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hilarious. Do, scene, because
1: but. because I was looking after some of my favorite kids, yeah, and they had been watching Gremlins, Gremlins. Yeah. since I got there, yeah. so I assumed no big deal that, okay, well, if they were watching it before I got there, they can finish it. (laughs) And then I heard that part, and I was like, oh, shit. And this was like second grader and fourth grader, Mm -hmm. which isn't ideal in my book, you know, if you're going to go that route. So it's like, oh, shit.
0: Exactly. Hilarious scene, but watch out for that if you're showing your kids. Anyway, that's Gremlins. It's available on Netflix.
1: My next one is number 10. The Muppets Take Manhattan. Very fun. The beloved Muppets are going to New York to sell their play to make it big on Broadway. Of course, they try selling it in multiple ways. Hilarious ways. Now I want to try that on my business. (laughs) (laughs) This is so fun and sad because it's the artist's It's the artist's life. You're going to go through this at some point. Maybe it won't be forever. (laughs) Okay. But because it's the Muppets telling the story, it's okay. Yeah. (laughs) You know? And let's face it, Miss Piggy, for me, is the best with all her drama and anger issues and meltdowns. Her meltdown with Joan Rivers is particularly interesting.
0: (laughs) Very fun movie. My number 10 is... The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in the Eighth Dimension. Available on Amazon Prime. This film is bongers in the best way possible. How do you even describe a film like Buckaroo Banzai as it's commonly known? You have Peter Weller who would three years later become Robocop as the titular character who's a rock star. He's like a like a a physicist or something he's like breaking the sound barrier he's a neurosurgeon he's so many things and he's kind of like a superhero dude and he's got his team of of uh friends slash bandmates whose name escapes me but you got jeff goldblum lm barkin you got dan hedaya as a as an alien uh, you have John Lithgow as a guy who goes crazy and befriends aliens from another dimension. Uh, Christopher Lloyd is an alien in it. It's just a bonkers cast, bonkers concept. This is a movie that needed the right uh, audience. It marketed so niche that it failed to reach um, uh, as big an audience as it could be to be a success you want to talk about remaking a movie now this is a movie i love that would actually be okay to remake because i could see this becoming a great sci-fi series of films someday uh just make sure you have as awesome a cast as the original did i love buckaroo Banzai in the eighth dimension and if you're cool you will too <laughs> if you haven't seen it you can find it on amazon prime
1: If you're a woman, you might have a problem with this film. All right, number nine. Fair,
0: fair, fair point. It is very fair.
1: My number nine is This Is Spinal Tap. Oh, excellent choice. A mockumentary about the loudest band. British band coming <laughs> to America and releasing their new album. And so you're, you've got this sort of documentarian following them. Mm-hmm. And it, really, this film thrives off of its dialogue. My favorite line is, it's a fine line between stupid and clever, which I guess is, it's kind of true, but it's also kind of absurd to say. So yeah. it's it's really funny for me. I feel like it's, it's like a dad line, <laughs> you know. I feel like my dad would get a kick out of this movie. So it's even better with all the talents. Michael McKean, Christopher Guest, Harry Shearer. You've got Bruno Kirby. You know, I think you've got Angelica Houston in here somewhere.
0: Fran Drescher, for sure. Ah, Fran
1: Drescher, yeah. There we go. And, you know, a whole bunch more. Go check it out. Billy Crystal is in there. Lots of fun. Fun. Apparently I can't speak.
0: It's all good. It's a great comedy. That's a great choice. Awesome. Very cool. My number nine is quite a bit different. It is Robert Zemeckis' first film the adventure romance romancing the stone with michael douglas and kathleen turner again not my favorite of the two we talked about my favorite in a previous episode but this one you know mostly the reason why it's not my favorite is it it is pretty dark the villains really dark what happens in the third act is really dark kind of terror terrifying me when i was 5 years old but but it's really hard to resist the chemistry between the leads, Kathleen Turner and Michael Douglas. To clarify, Kathleen Turner is going down to Columbia, I think, because uh, there's an issue with one of her best friends, and she uh, I think her best friend got kidnapped or something like by some drug- Columbia drug lord. For reasons, she runs into Michael Douglas, who's been living down in that area for all this time, and ensnares and, and him in helping her save her it's either a best friend or sister, one or the other. My memory's a little fuzzy. Adventure awaits for them. But, yeah, you know, and Danny DeVito, of course, is in it as well as a great comic foil. Love Danny DeVito. I miss his heyday. Wish I saw him on screen more. Jumanji 2 will not necessarily be a good substitute for more Danny DeVito. Oh, either. I
1: mean, I don't know. Yeah. But- there's Danny Glover, and I really like him. Yeah,
0: at any rate, uh, Romancing the Stone is quite the enjoyable film. It is my number nine, and is a great debut by Robert Zemeckis.
1: All right, my number eight is Splash. Oh, very cool. Surprisingly. he. <laughs> so you've got Tom Hanks, he falls in love with a mermaid. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a fun, silly romance. There's nothing extremely you know, eye opening about it. Right. You know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not only lovers left alive, like love transcending time or anything like that. (laughs) It's just for a bit of fun. It's nice to just sit down and watch together with the family. Tom Hanks is cute as a button because he looks really young.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you've got John Candy. Is why the hell he is the character. He is like, but I can't stay mad at John Candy.
0: He's like he's and that He's an obnoxious little. That, he's yeah. Perv. Yeah, perv. Thank That's you. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. And
1: I'm like, no, no, don't <laughs> do that to John Candy. I'm like, I can't stay mad at that face.
0: you also <laughs> have Eugene Levy in it. More. Yeah, yeah,
1: Eugene Levy. Yeah. Talk about a smooth face that is like untouched by time.
0: (laughs) I think it's Ron Howard's third film and the first Touchstone Pictures film, too.
1: Yeah, so I I really enjoyed this. I laughed a lot. I realized that my next movie has something in common with this one. So we'll talk about that in a second. Uh,
0: Interesting. We'll have to see what that is. My next favorite film from 1984 is A Nightmare on Elm Street so the 80s was just huge on slasher films and most of them to me just seemed like just a guy going around killing people with you know and it just seems like an excuse to be creative with how you can kill people with things that you'll never unsee apparently we
1: had a lot of people who needed to get something like that out of their system i
0: guess you know this is the this is these are the bad things that people took out of halloween in 1978 you know and just made these but a nightmare on elm street always kind of fascinated me because it had the most fascinating concept a guy who could kill you in your dreams
1: can't escape that right can
0: we right because you have to fall asleep at some point And so Freddy Krueger is essentially this guy who's been wronged all these years by the parents of this community uh, years ago. And so he's targeting the children of those parents by haunting their dreams and killing them in their dreams. It's a fascinating, awesome concept by Wes Craven. Robert Englund is iconic as uh, Freddy Krueger. Heather Langenkamp is one of the best uh final girls or screen queens. Johnny Depp has a early bit part in this film. Uh it's just one of the most imaginative horror films. I've always loved it. It really stands up to time. And it is one of the only horror series I would actually consider watching all the sequels to. Because I think there's there's if there's nothing else, there's creativity in it. Interesting. Uh, so uh and that's a nightmare on Elm Street. It's my eighth favorite film of 1984. Shanna, what's your number seven?
1: My number seven is Moscow and the Hudson. Now, oh. you might be thinking, well, what does this one have in common with Splash? Well, yeah. both movies have a scene at...
0: Bloomingdale's. That's Bloomingdale's, right.
1: yes. Um, and I was like, wait a second, this looks really familiar. <laughs> That's
0: right.
1: Moscow and the Hudson is a story of a Russian visiting New York for the first time coming to America with the rest of his circus gang. Mm-hmm. They're on tour. And he decides that he's going to defect. And seek asylum.
0: Very much a Cold War story.
1: Yeah. So if you ever wondered what seeking asylum looks like, it's actually as simple as saying, I seek asylum. So,
0: At least it should be. <laughs> yeah.
1: He loves his newfound freedom with which he can live his life in America. He doesn't worry... You know, don't worry, this is grounded by realities of mm-hmm. um, America, yep. Yep. Uh, challenges that do exist that any person can experience, like robbery. I love immigrants coming to America movies because, of course, I can mostly relate to that. Mm-hmm. They show one of the saddest experiences just about every immigrant is going to face if they've left their home country and that's the loss of a loved one Mm -hmm. having to mourn that loss yeah back home having to mourn that loss while in the country you wish to go to you know you wish to be in with all your heart and you can't really mourn the physicality of losing someone you you can't go
0: back yeah
1: yeah you can't go back and experience that down to even the way they show this visually is exactly what it was like when I lost my grandma, minus the drunkenness. Robin Williams' performance is great. Don't worry. <laughs> he seems to do Russian very well.
0: Yeah, and also what really struck me about that recent discovery of ours was how much it depicted the diversity of America, too. So mm. that was that's an awesome pick, Shannon. My next favorite 1984 film is... The last Starfighter. So a kid living in, growing up in a trailer park, finds out that the arcade cabinet in that trailer park that he's been playing, and finally gets the best score on, as actually a training module for an intergalactic war.
1: Every gamer kid's dream. I know, right? Is that the game results in something awesome, a tryout of some kind,
0: right? So this film is, I believe, directed by Nick Castle, who I think is the guy who played Michael Myers in Halloween. That's just creepy. Which is kind of awesome and crazy. Not really much in the way of stars in this film or people who broke out after this movie. Of course, but it does star the guy guy who played the music man in the music man's uh, musical years before this, uh, Robert Preston. He's great as as the recruiter, the guy who recruits the teen and takes him up into space. I always thought this movie, while at times frightening with some dark characters on the evil side, uh, very fascinating. It's, it seemed
1: to have very good costuming.
0: Yeah, great costuming, great makeups, great creature designs, alien designs. Somehow manages to be unique and stand itself apart when already at this point, sci-fi was getting a little bit cluttered with star wars and and star trek and it was very and Battlestar galactica on tv it was getting pretty difficult to stand out and be distinct and and really kind of like not feel like a copy per se and i thought last starfighter did a pretty darn good job and i've always been a fan of it and interestingly enough just learned that the screenwriter of the original film has been working on a sequel that Hopefully we'll see light of day in the next couple years. I think that that would be a great one to revisit and make a whole new franchise of. Uh, that's the last Starfighter. My, speaking of
1: revisiting things. Number seven. <laughs> my number six is Blood Simple, a Coen Brothers film. So the first. You know,
0: the first Coen Brothers Oh my
1: gosh. Film. So you know it's going to be good. And you know you're going to get a little tense trying to figure out how this is all going to pan out. And like a good Coen Brothers film, I didn't predict the end correctly, which is always thrilling for me. Yeah. So that's why I love it. Uh, really what this film is, is it's a crime noir take on things. Mm-hmm. It's happening in... a Small Where town. is it happening? Small town, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, a woman is cheating on her husband because her husband is so goddamn controlling and mm-hmm. just an awful situation.
0: Played by Dan Hedaya. A woman mm-hmm. is played by Frances McDormand in her first film. Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, then a, a, a divorce detective is hired, and things go very badly mm-hmm. uh, for yep. everyone.
0: Played by M. Emmett Walsh mm-hmm. as well. My number six. We're halfway through now, Shanna. And my number six is the top box office earner of the year, Beverly Hills Cop, Mm -hmm. starring Eddie Murphy as the Detroit cop who follows trouble to Beverly Hills and runs afoul of the police department in Beverly Hills while trying to find out who killed his, His friend. friend, you know, actually, by today's standards, this film is largely fairly tame for a rated R film. It would probably pass as PG thirteen, as a matter of fact, save for one brutal kill near the beginning of the film. But this is, of course, the best Beverly Hills Cop film. I would contend this may be Eddie Murphy's best film of all time. His best performance he's loose he's comedic he's funny he's iconic here uh and the central mystery slash crime, you know cop movie conflict is is pretty darn good and holds up pretty well i enjoy beverly hills cop quite a bit i can't believe that it honestly was the highest grossing film of the year but i can believe that its soundtrack would be because it had a pretty killer 80s soundtrack which i have on vinyl I used to play it all the time as a kid, uh, before I even got, was allowed to see the movie. So that's Beverly Hills Cop, my sixth favorite film of 1984. Shanna, what is your number five?
1: My number five is Paris, Texas. This has received criterion treatment, so you know it's going to be a pretty close to perfect film. It's about a drifter who has been away from society, away from his life and responsibilities for about four years. And he comes back on the radar to his brother and his brother goes and picks him up and slowly there's this unfolding and getting comfortable with society again, getting comfortable with his past. He tries to heal others from mistakes that he made. Mm -hmm. And there's a beautiful bit of dialogue that happens in the end in an effort to try and share his side of the story with his ex-wife and it was it's the most beautiful way to actually communicate so it's totally worth that the visuals are stunning Mm -hmm. you know there's there's a bunch of different things to think about in this film and i i love it for its visuals i love it for its communication i appreciate it much more now as i get older
0: yeah, a beautiful film. Harry Dean Stanton's great in it, and apparently a hugely influential film in music and film. So that's, I was really grateful of you showing me that film. It's a good I one.
1: actually got to show you something.
0: Ha-ha. Yeah, that was fun. My number five, however, is a lot different. It is also a small town America. Oh God, a, what is it? About a boy who moves in and uh-huh. discovers... Not allowed to dance, Mm -hmm. and we just can't have that, Shanna. No, we We can't have that. Kevin Bacon teaches this town how to cut foot loose. (laughs) That's great. That was good. Thank you. Much to John Lithgow's (laughs) chagrin as the town's moral conscience. The, the preacher, you know. Actually, I, I I really think a lot of people dog this movie for some reason, but I think who like who the fuck are those people? <laughs> oh, so many people. That's like, ridiculous. Almost the majority. John Lithgow and Diane Weiss really ground oh, this film. They're, they're, they're amazing. Their scenes together, the, the things that John Lithgow is wrestling with, the things that he's starting to see his town ta- town turn into, and that you know not have nothing to do with the youth, but in reaction to things. It is really, really great stuff. It really is. You know, not to mention, you have some other serious stuff, like, you have a woman who gets beaten in this film. You have, you, you have some weighty things and some fun things. And one of the best soundtracks of the 80s was Footloose by Kenny Loggins. Let's hear it for the boy by Denise Williams.
1: I need a hero.
0: Yes. Yes. Holding out for a hero. So many, so many good songs. I've always loved Footloose. I distinctly, really briefly, I distinctly remember story time. My mom's saying, oh, do you know what movie I got from the video store today? And I remember it, it was like 1988, four years later. I don't know if it, there was a delay in the video release or what. But I remember thinking, oh, was it Roger Rabbit? Because I really oh, that's wanted the to film. see. I really okay. wanted to see who framed Roger Rabbit back in 1988. Mm-hmm. And she goes, no, it's Footloose. I'm like, i was put off I was like what the hell is footloose i don't know but boy i love this film i think i think the actors really sell it kevin bacon if i haven't mentioned is the main character and you get sean penn's little brother chris penn who also starred in Reservoir Dogs eight years later, which, Shanna, you're a big fan of Mm -hmm. uh, in the film. Anyway, great film. Footloose, number five. I'm going to shut up about it because I could talk forever about it.
1: So my next one is number four, Gremlins, available on Netflix.
0: Really? That's your number four? I really... That was among the... the
1: That's my my top... Yeah, yeah, okay. That I knew it was going to be on my list. You know, as Jeff has already explained what the story is about, it's my favorite because it has Christmas and... I we all know that I love Christmas films and there's also this it's there's this sweetness to it. Mm, yep. And and of course it's kind of this like Wizard of Oz reference, like I'm going to get that dog because his dog Oh the main that character nasty lady. Is that bitch. Yeah. Uh, there's no other word for it. And
0: just, so- Yeah. Just that oh, wicked Unreasonably witch. mean.
1: Yeah. And it's just this really sweet depiction of little small-town America, that idyllic small-town America, because yep. I don't know if that actually exists. Sure, yeah, sure. So I, I enjoy it for those elements. I enjoy that... All the gremlins that are bad, oh, they went to go watch Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. And they're singing along oh, to yeah. it. So this, that, yeah. Hi-ho. Yeah.
0: They're singing hi-ho. They're that's singing right.
1: hi-ho. They're having a good time. That's Even right. Disney can work wonders on any creature.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Very good. My number four. My number four favorite film is an interesting one because I feel I could go anywhere between... Number two and number five here, but it, so it landed on number four. But it could have been anywhere. It's available on Amazon Prime. It is the seminal sci-fi film, The Terminator, by James Cameron. For all intents and purposes, you could argue that this is James Cameron's debut directorial debut, especially since Piranha 2: The Spawning got. Is not necessarily. I don't even his know
1: film. what you're talking about. <laughs> it, it, it's
0: technically his directorial debut, but it got taken from him, and he doesn't even consider it his own film. So this, this you could say, is his first film. And uh, you know, it's essentially a serial killer film. Basically, the premise, of course, is a sci-fi serial killer. film. Yeah, the premise, of course, is this: this waitress discovers that these women in his in in Los Angeles ha- are getting killed one by one, and they all share her her name. And next thing she knows, she's being targeted by this killer. And this killer turns out to be a cyborg from the future sent. To kill her to prevent from any any resistance in the future. Of course, we know the Terminator franchise. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know what that's all about. But this is the one that started it all. It's not my favorite of the whole franchise because, of course, James Cameron topped it. It's it's really damn good, and I, I contend most sex scenes in the '80s were not good, mes- unnecessary, yeah. or if they if they were necessary, to the point of showing a relationship. They had a male gaze lingering kind of aspect on the women and stuff and they showed things that wasn't necessary this sex scene i contend is is like a two minute sex scene or something like that maybe less and is the most significant in in film history not just because it shows the climax and that climax leads us to the climax of the movie but it also shows us there is conception that occurs that, that is significant to the overall story. So that's my take on Terminator. Love it. It's my number four, and it's available on Amazon Prime. Janna, what's your third favorite film from 1984?
1: My third favorite is Footloose.
0: Oh, so, I'm surprised.
1: So between watching Grease at the different high schools and, you know, town hall performances mm-hmm. in the two towns that I was living in growing up, if it, was, if it wasn't Grease, then it was Footloose. This is a really important one to me. I love the actors. I love Kevin Bacon. I love John Lithgow. I love Diane Weiss. She's my favorite. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish I could see more of her. It, it's just, you know, you've explained the premise. I love this film because there's just, there's so much music in it. And as you get older, as I get I got older, I start to realize the the terrible things that are happening. Yes. For the longest time I didn't realise why John Lithgow's character was the way he was until about I would say about six, seven years ago. I didn't realise why he was the way he is. So yeah, it's about a a big town kid coming, you know, and trying to get bring this town into the new. Um trying to get them to cut loose. Yeah, getting them to get a little loosened up here. But there's themes in there that are so important. Like they're trying to ban a book. I can't remember which book it was. Yeah, there's
0: a censorship. There's
1: censorship of art Mm -hmm. and expression. And such a fascinating movie. And so much fun. And the soundtrack is totally worth purchasing. I
0: know, right? So good. I love it. All right. So my third favorite film of 1984 ended up being The Karate Kid. Which, of course, stars Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita. And Elizabeth Shue. And uh, William Zabka. Of course, now they're all YouTube stars because YouTube decided (laughs) to make a sequel series.
1: Oh, gotcha. Okay, I
0: didn't know. Called Cobra Kai, which I have not seen. But this is the one that started it all. And I argue this is the best, uh, though I haven't seen Cobra Kai. This is the best of all the Karate Kid movies. They really probably could have stopped at number two, which I, I actually like. Yeah, I mean, uh, Pat Morita's great in it. It's iconic, very quotable, was quotable, was permeated throughout the culture at the time. One of the most inescapable teen movies, in a way, of the 80s. Had a great theme song to it. I believe that's the one. It's either this one or number two that had the song by Berlin. Um, Take my breath away am i wrong i might be wrong someone check me on that one there's definitely a love theme that was huge from this movie but at any rate love the karate kid it's my third favorite film of 1984
1: my second favorite film and i thought this was going to be my first but then i was reminded of what my first is as i was going through my list my number two is the Terminator available on Prime. Uh-huh, okay. And you have spoken so much about this, but let me tell you that I watched Terminator 2 first and thought that that was the only one that existed.
0: I My mind boggles. I thought it
1: had two, beca- and you can tell I watched it too young because I thought it had the number two because there were two robots in that one. <laughs> so, So one day I'm looking through the TV guide and we're on vacation, we're actually staying at a hotel, and I'm looking through the TV guide and I'm like... The Terminator is coming on white. Why? This must be an error. They haven't got the number two on there. Uh-huh. The damn thing starts. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, wow. And was totally blown away because the love between Reese, uh, the man from the future, and Sarah Connor is amazing. Yep. It's what you hope is going to happen for you in the world you know <laughs> So, you're, you're hoping that you know that you're going to care for each other and right. it's, it's a very it's my favorite sci-fi i think it's a sci-fi romance film i forget that i forget that there's killing that happens but
0: <laughs> it's um, called the terminator yeah, yeah
1: yeah so fantastic franchise i love that film super much and i hope that the one they're coming out with this year is going to do justice
0: yeah i am i'm very reluctant we'll see what happens uh but obviously i share your love for the original so does that that makes it my turn for my second favorite film of 1984 and it ended up being wolfgang peterson's the never ending story which is a great film for kids to watch to get them into reading because what is that movie all about but the 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 joy, the, the imagination, the love, the everything that can spark from reading books. That's great. But honestly, as a kid, what was uh, really cool was the creatures, the characters, the cast of characters in this thing was so imaginative uh, and, and honestly, of course, iconic. It's another iconic film of 1984. We were coming across so many on this list. But you have Falcor, and you know, of course, also there's 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 the I can't remember his name. Was he a Treyu? But he had this horse, and mm. the scene with the horse kills me every time. It's just so heart wrenching. <laughs> uh, you know what I'm talking. about. I know
1: about. what you're talking about. Yeah.
0: But uh, but yeah, there's a lot of visuals in this film that pop up on my head in different contexts. Even so much as the childlike princess and the little spark that she holds with um, the main character, and uh, of course the nothing, the nothing, the terrible nothing. I love this film so much. It's just so imaginative. It's one of the best children's fantasy films of all time. It does not talk down to kids at all maybe one day i'll read the darn book who knows <laughs>
1: wait you have not even read read the no, book i have
0: not gone around to it oh I, I just have not i've had opportunities and they slip by me i just haven't gone around to well it.
1: that is quite something that I you know. have not read the book
0: i know but shanna what is your favorite film of 1984
1: Ghostbusters is it, my number one.
0: It's mine too. Excellent. It's well, our favorite film <laughs> in 1984. <laughs>
1: we quote this damn thing all the time. All the time. Yep. I mean, the one time we were having a very, very tense family moment with the children, and I'd like you quoted something from Ghostbusters and all the tension broke. Yeah. I just cracked out laughing. I couldn't stop laughing. Uh, That is the power of this film. That is the power of sharing a film together, a favorite film together. Uh, Why don't you talk about the premise? Because you're so good at that. Oh,
0: well, basically it turns out that these group of washed-out scientists from university, they develop uh, technology. They're obsessed with ghosts. They develop technology to be able to hunt and track ghosts. And next thing they know as they're doing this there happens to be an evil presence that wants to break itself free and, and, and wreak havoc on New York City this is
1: called good coincidences
0: yeah right. and
1: like I told you so right kind of moments yeah
0: and of course they become local celebrities so this star is Dan Aykroyd Bill Murray Harold Ramis
1: Rick Moranis
0: Rick Moranis but who's the fourth Ghostbuster oh my god come I on. love that man so much but do I the always guy for- justice I for- come for- on
1: no, I always forget his name. Ernie Hudson. Ernie Hudson.
0: Poor Ernie Hudson. He's in Will
1: and Grace if you guys want more of him. Oh, I didn't know that. He's, oh, he's so great. Huh. He's. I just want to hug him.
0: I love Ernie Hudson. He never gets his due. Sigourney Weaver, of course, and Annie Potts also star in this film. Anybody who's been listening to the podcast should not be surprised that this is Shannon's number one. It you know She's talked about how X-Men, Ghostbusters, and Star Wars are it for her. I grew up with Ghostbusters as a kid. Like, where,
1: where, How right? old were you when you first watched it?
0: I cannot remember because I saw it because so... Because you were so young. Well, I saw it so much when I was a kid. I couldn't okay. tell you when I saw it first. I mean, it was on HBO all the time. I can't remember if we rented it or what. We had a VHS copy from HBO... Oh, from of the HBO. Yeah, we recorded it off of oh, HBO. Oh, okay, gotcha, yeah. Right? Of the movie. That's what I grew up with. The terror dogs lived up to their name as a kid. I would hide behind the couch whenever Rick Moranis was going to get um, attacked. That was
1: not my hide behind the couch moment. My um, leave the room and come back after a snack moment was when they came after Sigourney Weaver.
0: That and too, yes. So That's when, even more so terrifying, yes. Like,
1: Hide behind the couch? Are you fucking serious? Like, after Sigourney Weaver's pulled from the couch? Like, no, I'm not going to hide behind a couch. Don't be silly. I'm going to leave the room and come back later.
0: No, so I grew up with it. And, of course, the uh, cartoon series came out shortly after. And I had all the action figures or as many as you could get. I had the, we have actually I was gonna say, not far from where we are recording right now. We have the original firehouse from the eighties with the action figures, with the original Ecto one from, from back in the day, we have these sitting up. I'm looking at them right now. This is, this was my childhood was these. So yeah. it's why it's my, my favorite movies of all time.
1: So I think I'm kind of the same as you. I don't, quite remember how old i was but i think we had just moved houses so i might have been four going on five yeah watching the ghostbusters which i wouldn't really want to do this to my four-year-old just knowing what i know we had just moved house so there was a lot of clutter and i remember that we had one of those small black screen, green writing computers.
0: Oh God, yeah, back yeah. in the day. Yeah, and that mm-hmm. was next
1: mm-hmm. to the Ghostbusters. And we also had like a, oh, we recorded it from Mnet, you know, VHS, and the VHS was so, played so much that yeah. by the time I was eight, mm-hmm. my mom was like, no, stuff it, I'll just buy it for you. Nice. <laughs> and there you go, because awesome. it, was, it was really breaking. And showing those little like staticky yeah,
0: type yeah. marks, and, and and you and I have something in common. For us both, we imagined being Ghostbusters as kids. Yeah, too. I
1: imagined being a Ghostbuster, and I also imagined that uh, my imaginary friends were my Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and they kept me safe, and like I kept them safe. I kept them fed. Yeah, <laughs> asking for sandwiches for Ray.
0: That's awesome. You know. And I had a Ghostbusters poster on my bedroom door, and I remember staring at that when I was supposed to be going to sleep at night and imagining being a Ghostbuster and everything. Anyway, we obviously love this film. We could go on forever, but we're actually curious what your favorite films of 1984 are. Is it Ghostbusters? Is it other ones? Are there ones that we didn't even touch from that year that you love more? Email us at thegibsonreview at gmail.com. That's gonna do it for us in this episode, the 60th episode of the Movie Lovers. Shanna, before we talk about the f- next episode, why don't you share with them where they can find you on the internet?
1: You can find me at Shannapaxton.com. My Instagram is Shanna Um it's not too difficult to find me and be nice.
0: Be nice always leaving comments on the various different platforms. You can find this including the Facebook slash the Review, Instagram, thegibson 99, all of these different platforms. Hey, if you really want to be kind, feel free to donate us to us. Shoot us a, a dollar or two over through PayPal at the at gmail.com that helps us pay for the website, the podcasting, and the movie services as well. We appreciate your kindness and your support. Is there any other place you can find us? Oh, you can also find me on Flickchart too, the Gibson 99 there. Um, You can check out the list of movies I've seen throughout my lifetime, all theatrically released movies. The next time on The Movie Lovers, we will be reviewing Once Upon a Time... In Hollywood by... A.K.A.
1: Quentin Quentin Tarantino's
0: masterpiece, I'm sure. Well, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It may or may not be his last movie. He keeps going back and forth on that. And Film Phase will be going back to our year-long series uh, in correspondence with the series on the blog Best of 2010s. Check out that series of articles. We'll be coming back to that with our favorite comic book movies of the decade. That will be interesting. Marvel Cinematic Universe certainly dominated the decade. Will they dominate our lists? Find out on August 6th. Until then, keep loving the movies. This is Jeff and Shannon saying... Bye-bye.
1: One more thing before we finish up. I liked how they made clear that Mufasa doesn't hunt the land to death. Oh, yeah and that's what scar ends up doing yeah and when simba is with timon and pumba it's actually really great that he's with them because he learns to eat grubs yeah. and he looks very healthy
0: surprisingly yes i, mean, I don't i think be, it's a
1: little unrealistic yeah
0: i thought about that too i was it's like how bit.
1: much bugs is he eating i mean they gotta I mean because that is a heavy ani- cat. you know that all those animals are going to help him find the bugs hey right. because otherwise it's going to end badly <laughs> for them So I think that because they established that in the beginning, it made me more realistic of, okay, when you transition from Scar's rule to Simba's rule, you probably had to teach the lionesses how to do the grubs because you would have had to grow the population because the population is back to somewhat normal by the time they have their cup. Oh, the ceremony.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And this version made me really think about how much time must have passed between the the end and yeah. and the the climactic birth yeah because I'm like everything looks pretty freaking lush right now
1: and you know what it will become that way so typically if there's a, a felt fire
0: yeah
1: you know the fire will happen the rains will come and green will almost sprout immediately wow because that's remember crazy. you have the Sun yeah so wow, okay. it's not Washington so
0: it's state. not like it, not necessarily a year later
1: <laughs> so it's possibly a year To a year and a half, realistically speaking, because you're also thinking about, well, the populations are thriving.
0: Gotcha, yeah. All right.